urban musician Mark Hughes as I share the making of my new album under my project name Sans Mantra. Follow Sans Mantra Studio for insights into the world of songwriting, sessions, gigs and more. Hey there listeners, greetings and welcome to another week of Sans Mantra Studio, episode 13 in fact. This week I've been working some more on my next single, City Shrink, and I've actually been working on it instrumentally, so I took the vocals off just so I could concentrate on the band. And it's actually quite interesting without the vocals. Here's a little bit of it. So that's my next single, City Shrink, just the instrumental version that I'm working on at the moment as I mix the track, basically. I hope you enjoyed that. And listening to that, I remembered that my good friend Ashley Smith plays the bass on that track. And that reminded me that I have a band gig coming up for the first time in a very long time. I'm actually going to be playing with Ashley and two other good friends of mine, Paul Richards, who regular listeners will know as the voice of Peggy's Neighbour on this podcast. And, oh, hello. When you sit down to play the drums, you don't just play the bass drum. You play 
the bass drum, the snare drum, the tom-tom, the big tom-tom, the bigger tom-tom, the crash cymbal, the ride cymbal, maybe a cowbell, you know. And my good mate Lyndon Wesley, who I've mentioned a couple of times in previous episodes as well. And we've got a blues band called Tuco's Grill, which we put together just before the pandemic hit. And we had three goes at trying to get a date. We had three dates booked, basically, and we had to postpone every single time. So this will be the fourth time. And I'm hoping that the fourth time will be the charm. So... Actually, to quote Lyndon on Facebook this afternoon, he said, we're the band that the pandemic couldn't kill. We're called Tuco's Grill, and the band is basically, I call it a blues band, but it's really, it's not a traditional blues band. We've got some funky grooves, and we've got some different arrangements of some classic blues songs as well, so it's a bit different. So it's myself on vocals and guitar, Lyndon on vocals and guitar, Ashley on vocals and bass, and Paul on drums and wisecracks. So we're called Tuco's Grill and we're playing at Club Altona in 113 Civic Parade in Altona on Sunday the 6th of March at 3.30pm. So put that in your diary and come down and say hello if you're in Melbourne. It's going to be a fun afternoon. So I thought I'd play one of the tracks that would give you an idea of what we'll be playing at this gig. And this is an extremely old demo. It's a funny thing. I've been playing a lot of these tunes with Paul on drums with different combinations over the years. But ever since I started recording my original material, I guess we haven't done any more recording of these different sort of funky blues bands. And like I said, this is one of the demos that we did very early on. So I shudder to think what year this was actually recorded in. I'm not going to tell you, but suffice to say it was a long time ago, but I think it still stands up. And this is myself on vocals and guitar, Paul Richards on drums, our good friend Albie Sutherland on rhythm guitar and lead guitar as well towards the end. Albie actually ended up living in America. We went to college together, the three of us, and Albie moved to America to to play the blues basically and he met a woman fell in love and got married and that's where he lives now so all power to you Albie if you're listening and on bass was a man whose second name escapes me Paul might be able to help me out with this but I'm not sure his first name anyway was Julian and he was a lovely guy he was a bit of a hippie he had long hair this was the 90s you have to remember so a lot of people had really long hair and he had a beard as well actually quite before his time julian i think style wise at least and at the end of every gig julian would peel open a fresh banana and eat that while the rest of us would open our benson and hedges and have a fag so yeah julian was a bit of a health nut as well but a lovely guy and a a really really good bass player so this is um an arrangement of red house that i came up with the guys And this is the Jimi Hendrix classic as interpreted by us.
So that's our version of Red House by Jimi Hendrix, and that's how we'll be playing that at the gig on the 6th of March. Fishing around for that track on my hard drive just now, I came across another track, a demo of, well, another Jimi Hendrix track, actually, Voodoo Child, which I put together, which I hope to do with the band at some point. This coming gig, we haven't had a lot of time to rehearse, I think, due to, you know, lockdown and, well, mostly lockdown, I guess, but we're going to be playing stuff that I think we all kind of know pretty well, so we're not doing any really sort of terribly ambitious arrangements. I'm not trying to put you off here. It's going to be great. But this is one demo that I personally would like to try with the band at some point. So this is um, a reworking of Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Let me know what you think of this. This is just a demo, by the way. This is so. This is just uh, just a drum machine and and different guitars and just instrumental. So going back to my instrumental mix of City Shrink that I shared earlier in this episode, it was interesting to me to see SoundCloud suggest hashtags for genres for this song when I uploaded it. I have a private SoundCloud account that I use primarily just to listen to rough mixes that I'm working on. So when I've finished a mix for the day, I'll upload it to my account and then I can listen to it, you know, wherever I am in the car or walking or whatever it is so when i uploaded the mix that i was doing with the vocals uh, a week ago it was saying just simply hashtag pop was the suggested genre which cool you know i consider it to be a pop song albeit perhaps a slightly retro pop song i guess it certainly doesn't sound like what qualifies as pop in the year 2022 it's definitely a retro sort of pop song but um interesting to see when i uploaded this instrumental version the hashtags changed and quite dramatically from pop to hashtag jazz and hashtag jazz fusion which really did make me smile because just the simple inclusion of vocals on this track made soundcloud 
think that it was pop and because it's got i guess some jazz chords in it just the instrumental version it it homed in on those elements and suddenly it became a jazz fusion song so that was really intriguing to me and that made me think about the fact that what i've tried to do with this song city shrink what i try to do with all my writing is i strive for originality uh, above all which is very hard to do especially when you're trying to create something that's worth listening to I suppose I mean I don't think it's that hard to be original if you really take things to extremes but to do something that people want to listen to and is still original is is quite hard to do and I'm not saying I achieve it hopefully I do at times but I do feel like there are elements that are original in this song and I'm quite proud of it for that reason but this sort of led on in my head to how so many songs are really just echoes of other songs and there are so many songs that really are kind of rip-offs of other songs and this is something that my friend Paul and I text each other about all the time we're like train spotters with melodies and a couple of times a week one of us will text the other one and say hey I've got another one for you check this out such and such a song equals such and such a song and usually the other person will go yep that's right I can hear it and I have to say that Paul's quite hardcore about this he has a rule he's read this somewhere I'm not sure if it's true or not but apparently if you've got four or five notes in a row of a melody then that constitutes a lift quote unquote but in Paul's mind if something is a melody from somewhere else no matter what has happened to it whether it's you know whatever context it's been put into in regards to the chords underneath and I guess I should illustrate what I mean by that so say if you've got a song that goes like this a melody that goes is a very simple thing just you know say that's your verse melody now that's a famous song and then suddenly you hear another song that sounds like this now most people would probably say that's pretty similar even though technically you could argue that the chords underneath do change the essential nature of the melody so on the one hand we've got da, 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 da. probably doesn't help that I'm playing it in the related um, chords so I'm going from C major here to A minor and those chords are actually related in music theory but maybe if I go like this da, 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 da. So I'll go, I'll do this one in the first one again. Okay, bear with me. It's a great melody, don't you reckon? Then, there's sappy melody number one. Assume that that's a mega selling hit on the radio. And then, then we've got this other song that goes like this. So you could take that melody apart and I think legally if you take that melody they will just look at the notes of the melody which um, 
just those notes, regardless of what chords are underneath it. And in a court of law, that would be enough to cite infringement of copyright, basically. So, like I was saying, Paul is quite hardcore in that if something comes from somewhere else originally, no matter, even if they've changed a couple of notes of the melody or something, if he can trace it back to somewhere else, then that's it. He wipes them. That's it. No done out of there whereas i've become a lot more kind of lenient on this sort of thing as i've gotten older basically because i think that nothing ever comes from nowhere i think everything has its seed in something that's gone before whether we realize it or not and i think that our brains are sponges for information which is pretty obvious really they are but especially musical information too there's a lot of music that we've listened to that's in there that we don't even know about that just comes out unconsciously so i think that just like styles and genres of music influence each other and become something that is from a single place say a region or a time you know or a decade an era and that influences everything else around the same time or place then i think the same thing happens with us with music that we listen to throughout our lives so i thought it might be interesting just to just to talk about this and perhaps look at some different songs that are actually lifts i suppose in terms of how close they are and everyone knows about my sweet lord by george harrison which copied pretty much note for note he's so fine by the chiffons and that was quite a famous case and i think george harrison had to actually pay some money to the writers of he's so fine but another one was when john lennon came along with come together i think he showed it to paul mccartney first and it really was a direct lift of you can't catch me by chuck berry and the beatles were famously big chuck berry fans and this is all in documentaries that anyone who's into the beatles has probably seen so what happened was paul mccartney's said to John, look, you can't just do that. He came along with this song going, here, come on, flapped up. And it was really fast. It was the same sort of tempo as um, Chuck Berry's song, which was, you know, quite a sort of... And Paul McCartney said, you can't do that. It's just exactly the same. It's a lift. So they slowed it down. Paul McCartney came up with that bass riff for it. And I think John Lennon just used the first line although i do think he changed one word from memory so i've just looked it up actually because i couldn't remember and the chuck berry song the line actually goes here come a flat top he was moving up with me so he's referring to a flat top convertible and so of course john lennon changed it to here come old flat top he come grooving up slowly which is pretty cool, but very similar. So what happened with that case, if you don't know, is that the people that own Chuck Berry's publishing actually did a deal with John Lennon, which led to him recording a bunch of their songs that they owned the copyright to, which was his rock and roll music album. So that's probably a good example of what I'm getting at here, which is that it's a pretty blatant example, I guess. I wouldn't do it myself, but John Lennon, I guess, the Beatles, to some extent, were beyond reproach, I, I guess. I probably would never have heard of that song, You Can't Catch Me, by Chuck Berry and I've actually seen people online arguing that John Lennon was trying to pay homage to Chuck Berry and perhaps let people know about his song like a tip of the hat to Chuck Berry I guess because he was such a big fan but that song that Chuck Berry wrote led to this fantastic song come together so it certainly sparked that song in John Lennon and then that led to Paul McCartney coming up with that bass line and then the whole thing's got this incredible groove Ringo does those amazing triplet feels on the toms the whole track sounds amazing and that wouldn't have existed well it's debatable that that might not have existed if chuck berry hadn't written 
you can't catch me. Now, people could argue John Lennon could have probably come up with it anyway without ripping off Chuck Berry's line, and that's true too. But my point is that all art leads to more art, I think, and that in some ways it's hard to separate one from the other. I I feel like it's a continual flow. It's something that just keeps going and going. Creativity is inherent in being alive, I think. So I've got some other examples written down that you might not have heard of, which I I think are interesting and perhaps a bit eye-opening too. And this is going to be the topic of this week's Highly Recommended. So cue the theme music. Some other songs that bear striking similarities to each other include one by Sting, which you may not know about. And this is Sting's famous song, Fields of Gold, which goes a little bit like this. You remember me when the west wind moves upon the fields of Bali. You forget the sun in his jealous sky as we walk in fields of gold so there's a song by a guy from i think the 70s called reckless eric called whole wide world which goes like this go the whole wide world i'd go the whole wide world just to find you i'd go the whole wide world i'd go the whole wide world just to find you Okay, so here's another couple of songs that I think are quite similar to each other in terms of the key melody. The first one is I Don't Want to Dance by Split Ends, which came out in 1981 and is in G. And the melody goes... It's a bit high, so I'm going to sing it down. So it goes... I don't want to dance no more. That's like the opening melody. And then in 1986, XTC came out with That's Really Super, Supergirl. I'm not sure if this was a single or not. I think it was. And that's in B flat. And the opening melody to this song sounds like this. Can't remember the words. I should have looked it up. Sorry. So you've got this in G. They're not exactly the same, but... The rhythm's the same. So if I put them in the same key, so we've got I Don't Want to Dance by Split Ends in G, and then if we transpose the XTC song to G, it would sound like this. Verses. So really, it's not exactly the same combination of notes, but it's pretty similar. You can see what I'm getting at here. So 
Given that split ends were kind of happening in England in the early 80s and Andy Partridge from XTC, I think maybe the split end song influenced the XTC song in this instance. I've got a couple of others here, but I won't go on demonstrating them on the guitar. I'm just going to put them in the playlist for you to check out. And I'm going to make this playlist collaborative too. So if you're on Spotify, you can add songs to it as well. But don't add just one song. If you're going to do it, add two so that you've got the first song that came first and then the song after it that was influenced slash you know copied or ripped off lifted whatever you want to call after it So creativity and where it comes from is a topic that's dear to my heart and I'll probably talk about this some more in future episodes because there's so much to dive into in this subject. But I'll finish this episode with an anecdote from a great book that I read I think a couple of years ago now by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's a book called Big Magic and essentially it's about creativity, inspiration. It's kind of an artistic sort of self-help book I guess but it's really great. It's well worth a read. It's very inspiring inspiring and very interesting as well. The anecdote I want to relate to you is one where Gilbert talks about a book that she was working on for a long time. It was to do with the preservation of the Amazon. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember exactly. But she worked on this book for a long time and then she sort of hit an impasse with it. So she shelved the book and just let it be for a while. She couldn't do anything more with it. So she put it away. And then she ended up being invited to these different conferences as a speaker and she became friends with a woman who was there doing a similar thing. Now this woman had just written a book and was working on a second one it turned out but what happened was that Elizabeth Gilbert went to dinner with this woman and they got chatting and it turned out that they were both working on the same book independently of each other with no way of knowing that the other one was writing the same thing and when this woman brought up the fact that she was working on this story Elizabeth Gilbert said that's exactly what I've been working on up until very recently. And they compared notes and they were both stunned to see that they'd been working on exactly the same thing without any idea of each other, without even knowing each other before this conference. So Elizabeth Gilbert goes on in her book to explain her theory, which kind of sounds a bit out there, but makes a lot of sense to me, which is that ideas are actually entities unto themselves and they're looking for a host to attach to, to realise themselves. So they're flying about in the ether until they find a suitable host which will bring them into being, which will manifest them into the world, as it were. So what happened with Elizabeth Gilbert's book idea was that, you know, if you're going along with this theory, is that the book that she was writing, the idea in this case, realised that Elizabeth Gilbert wasn't going to bring it into being because she'd put the book in the drawer. She'd shelved it and it had somehow found its way to this woman instead who was going to be a better vehicle for bringing this idea to life. And why I say that makes sense to me is because many, many, many years ago, one of the first songs I ever wrote was a song called Mad About You. It was, I'm embarrassed even mentioning this, but it had a kind of, you know, upbeat sort of melody. All right, all right, I'll play it for you. So it went, it went like this. I'm not going to sing the words. They're too embarrassing. Okay, but the melody went like this. And of course, the start of that. 
people who were around in the 90s, you'll remember the song from the theme tune of the show of the same name, Mad About You, which sounds an awful like that. The Paul Reiser, Helen Hunt show. And I remember friends coming up to me and saying, hey, Mark. Your song's on that show now. So the thing was, I did write this song. I recorded it, but I never really did anything with it. So I feel like the song found its way into this show. It found its purpose, as it were. And I think that happens all the time with ideas. In fact, I may have mentioned this in a previous episode, but there's a saying, I can't remember who said it first. I think I first read it by Nick Cave, which is him talking about his writing habits and he'll clock on in the morning, like at 10 o'clock at his office with a piano in it. And he won't clock off until five o'clock or whatever it is. And he's there every day when he's writing. And the reason for that is that he said that if his muse comes calling, he wants her to know where he is. He doesn't want her to have to go and visit every bar in town to try and find him. So to finish up this week, I'm going to quote from an article in Vulture about Michael Jackson's last tour, which this article is saying was spurred on by Prince's return to the live scene and becoming a a touring act again to deal with. So Michael Jackson had huge creative ambitions for the concert. They were beyond anything he'd ever attempted. With the budget already past $24 million, Jackson told his team he wanted to recreate one of the world's largest waterfalls on the stage. I was ready to jump off the balcony of my office. Phillips says. We went and met with Michael and Kenny said, Michael, you've got to stop. We've got an incredible show. We don't need any more vignettes. Michael said, but Kenny, God channels this through me at night. I can't sleep because I'm so supercharged. Kenny said, but Michael, we have to finish. Can't God take a vacation? Without missing a beat, Michael said, you don't understand. If I'm not there to receive these ideas, God might give them to Prince. Mad props and extreme gratitude, as always, to the following people in alphabetical order. Thank you, Anthony Ray, Beck Godfrey, Campbell McNaughton, Jill Harvey, Gordon Thompson, Jody McNaughton, Justin Slay, Logan Sinclair, Lyndon Wesley, Neva Connell, Nicola Platt, Paul Appleman, Paul Richards, Pete Sim, Salman Khan, Sharon Swan, Sylvia Bucks, Warren McCall Jones, Barbara Renz, Paul Hughes, Natalie Guglielmi, Graham Hughes, Gloria Kennedy, and especially to my ever-loving family, Helen Hughes and Bailey Hughes. Thank you so much for streaming this and listening to the end if you're still here. Have a great week and I'll see you next week. And don't forget to...